for freedom every day. They're learning at a young age. They're being taught the socialists control the ones that are blaming Republicans for being Nazis or being fascists, the ones that are promoting some type of cancel culture, the ones that are promoting some type of agenda of uh, shadow banning. Realize at a young age that, hey, sure, you can have your freedom of speech, but we can block your funding. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It's hour number two of the Voice of Reason for your weekend edition broadcast. Broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here at the Hoosier Media Network Studios, ready for hour number two. And boy, oh boy, does it fly right on by. Finally, we may get a little bit of relief from the extreme heat across the nation, especially in the Mid-America region here in Kansas, where I'm at. It has been triple digits all week long. I'm talking like 105 to 107 all week long. Not okay, man. Not okay. I want negative 20. I want T-shirt and short weather. And, yes, I do correlate those two together, shorts and T-shirt weather in negative 20-degree weather. That right there, I'm okay with. If it goes above 80, then I'm a little angry and a little testy. So it was actually 85 or so degrees today, which was nice, and I soaked it up the best that I possibly could. Welcome into the program. we got a lot to talk about. Bottom of this hour, Elizabeth Patton. She is the state director for the state of Kansas for Americans for Prosperity. She's also heavily influenced on the federal level as well, the national level for Americans for Prosperity. We'll get their update on Bidenomics. We'll talk about the upcoming budget conversations, tax conversations, and we'll talk about how their campaign went throughout the summer as we shift gears and gear up for the fall and campaign season. I know it's early. I know it's early, but yet it's still important to try and get those candidates out there and start getting the messages. You're going to start seeing more candidates running through the mill over the next, oh, three, four, five months. Oh, yes. Candidates will be jumping in. If they haven't announced by the end of the year, then they're way behind the ball because it's going to be a rough one. It's going to be a brutal one. It'll be exciting, but it's still going to be a pretty brutal battle across the nation. So we'll get to all that. By the way, if you have not done so yet, I don't do a good enough job promoting this stuff. Uh, we have our newsletter that comes out every single month, and it's totally free. We don't spam you and send you like a blast every day and just blow up your email. We send you a once-a-month newsletter, and if you want to sign up for that, if you want to become a Hoosier-holic, which you're more than welcome to do, all you got to do is go to the website at HoosierReason.com, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. It'll pop up and say, do you want to become a Hoosier-holic? You type in your email, and boom, you'll get that at the beginning of each month. Now we will have our newsletter out not this coming Monday, but the following Monday, so about a week and a half from now. So if you want to sign up, you got plenty of time to do so. Go to HoosierReason.com, become a Hoosierholic, sign up for that newsletter. We have our monthly blog on there. We have information about the radio show, new affiliates and stations that we're on. We have other cool stuff going on with the Hoosier Media Network, which I, I don't even think I've talked to them about that much on the show. I don't want to do a self-promotion thing here a whole lot, but just real quickly, i give you a little breakdown here. And for those new listeners on the program, because this has been a long time in the works. So being based out of Wichita, Kansas, I've been an operations manager, program director for a cluster of radio stations for about the last 10, 11 years. And we've, over the years, obviously gained experience. We've done a lot of fun stuff on radio, and we branched out on our own while still doing that. But we've started this project on our own by going solo. And we're broadcasting from our very own Hoosier Media Network studios in our bunker, so to speak. And we have a lot of cool stuff going on. So not only do we have this program that's now going coast to coast on numerous different radio affiliates, my wife, Mrs. Voice of Reason, which we will get her on the program here soon as well. She is uh, also launching her program known as Hoosier Health. That is the alternative medicines. It's the holistic medicine. It is alternatives to the pharmaceutical industries trying to push back against that big pharma as she uh, does 
um, she sees individuals and works with them on their personal needs, looks at their diets, look at their blood types, look at their whatever to try and help them out. I don't even know what she does. I'm not going to try and get into detail with that because she does that way better. But what we also do is we work with podcasters. We work with video production, audio production, graphic design. We do a lot of cool stuff. And it's been growing in the years. And this is definitely our baby. This is the project that we've uh, sunk so much time in as the show's been blowing up. We get a lot of great podcast downloads. We get a lot of subscribers. We get a lot of feedback on the show. So thank you for that. And we're having a lot of fun with it right here. All right, enough of the self-promotion. I don't want to do a whole lot. That's not the purpose of what I wanted to do. But uh, I, I realize that for those that don't know quite what's going on with the show and who I am and what we do, it's we're taking a different uh, approach to current events. Because the Hoosier Media Network and the podcast lineup that we have is any type of co- uh, podcasting content from politics to current events to religious to entertainment to whatever. And we work at a lot of different ones. You can find that website at HoosierMedia.com and you can get more information on exactly what we do. So that being said, let's jump into it because I think we uh, kind of hit on a topic already that I want to do a deep dive into. What's trending today? As we wrap up the debate that happened on Wednesday night, I know you've heard a lot of the clips. I don't want to focus a lot of time on the actual debate itself, but I want to do a deep dive of one of the candidates because there's a lot of rumor that spread around. And I have to admit, there was on Wednesday night, there was definitely a generational difference that was very evident on a generational different styles of politics. And what I mean by that is the candidate who I believe won, and according to the poll from Judge Report, showed that he won by about a 40% to 30%-ish over Ron DeSantis, was Vivek Ramaswamy. And I personally, being a millennial myself, being roughly around his age, listening to what he had to say, he made the absolute most sense. Uh, and now, again, I'm taking Donald Trump out of the equation for just a moment. Donald Trump is still 30, 40, 50 points above any other candidate, at least from what we saw in the last polls. It may have narrowed a little bit since then. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Donald Trump is still above and beyond everybody else. He still has supported two-thirds of the Republican Party. We're, we're aware of that. We recognize that. I want to set him aside for just a moment and talk about this other candidate. Because if Donald Trump was not there, and we look solely based on who is on that debate stage on Wednesday night, we have a very interesting field of candidates, one of them in particular, that is, like Donald Trump, another wild card. And I've used this example over and over, that Vivek Ramaswamy is the Donald Trump 2.0, where he is the absolute wild card. We know nothing about this guy. We don't know whether we can trust him. We don't know whether we're skeptical of him. We don't know whether he's going to do what he says he's going to do if he were to become president. We know nothing about him. He's an entrepreneur. He's a business guy. He's not a politician. He comes in, and what he did on that debate stage on Wednesday night was play the Donald Trump card. Poke the bear at some of the other candidates, get them to attack him, and then talk about his policies. And he did it so smoothly, so eloquently, that you really think, wow, He's very polished for someone who's never been in politics. On the same hand, he's also a multimillionaire business guy. That is a cause for concern. Or maybe it's something good because, again, he's that outsider. But he showed what the generate my generation is conservatives. He really emphasized the generational difference in politics. That biggest issue being foreign policy. As everybody else up on that stage talked about how we need to fund Ukraine. We need to put more money into Ukraine. 
We need to go after Vladimir Putin, which I agree. Vladimir Putin's a complete communist thug. What I would do, and I think that's a very easy thing, you put a $2 million bounty on his head and watch people go crazy in Russia. End it. But you don't have to even involve the military. All you got to do is put a bounty on him and let people deal with the rest of it. That's all you got to do to deal with that guy. He's a thug, and we cannot allow him to unite the USSR and try to reclaim the Soviet Union. I understand that. At the same time, we have a Biden administration right now who's giving away a one-time $700 payment to individuals in Hawaii after the disaster. So in here, hope this deals, hope this helps with your business, hope this helps with your home, hope this helps with your livelihood that you completely lost during this wildfire. Here's a one-time $700 paycheck. The amount of money that we've sent to Ukraine, do you know on average how much money we sent over there per citizen based on population size? $11,000 per person is how much we've sent over there with the request to send another 40 plus billion dollars over there here soon without, by the way, congressional approval. That's what we want to end. And foreign policy, while it may not be his stronghold, while it may be something a little bit different than the rest of the Republican Party, Vivek Ramaswamy nailed it. In my opinion, based on what he said on the debate stage, again, now don't Try to take it for granted of, well, that's not what he really means. And he said something else other places. I'm not talking about, I'm talking solely what he said on that debate stage. Because what he said in many of his comments hit directly is what the conservative Republican movement has been asking for, been wanting to hear, and has been frustrated with in current events at this time. I was born in 1985 and I grew up into a generation where we were taught to celebrate our diversity and our differences so much that we forgot all of the ways we are really just the same as Americans, bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion in 1776. And this is our moment to revive those common ideals. God is real. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to man. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. There are three branches of government, not four. And the U.S. Constitution, it is the strongest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what will win us the revolution of 2024. I mean, that pretty much sums it up right there, doesn't it? That is a guy who wants to go in as an outsider, as a business guy, as an entrepreneur, as a new generation millennial to go in, shake up the system, and dismantle. In fact, he was the only one up on that debate stage as they were talking about education. He was the only one in any of the categories that actually talked about dismantling the bureaucratic agencies in Washington, D.C. Look, we have a crisis of achievement. Let's shut down the head of the snake, the Department of Education. Take that $80 billion, put it in the hands of parents across this country. This is the civil rights issue of our time. Allow any parent to choose where they send their kids to school. End the teachers' unions at the local level to allow public schools to compete. And then revive our national identity where every high school senior should have to pass the same civics test that, frankly, every immigrant, including my mother, had to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. And the fact of the matter is, look, there's part of education policy that also rests with the family. I didn't grow up in money. But, you know, the word privilege gets used a lot. Well, you know what? I did have the ultimate privilege of two parents in the house 
with a focus on educational achievement. And I want every kid to enjoy that. So part of the problem is we also have a federal government that pays single women more not to have a man in the house than to have a man in the house, contributing to an epidemic of fatherlessness. And I think that goes hand in glove with the education crisis as well, because we have to remember education starts with the family and the nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. I'm kind of impressed, honestly, with how deep he went unveiling and peeling away those layers of that onion in a minute's time with that response, because that was absolutely brilliant. Not only dismantling the educational department and going after the bureaucratic agencies, talking about a revolution of 2024, relating it to 1776, relating it to the new generation, and then trying to focus on the nuclear family and how important the family unit is. I'm kind of impressed with that. Now, that being said, again, this is I want you to be very clear. This is not an endorsement of him in any way, shape or form, because there are concerns that people have about his background, about his history and about who he associates with, including the ties to the potential Soros family by receiving money from them and moving forward with his higher education. Now, I will say that that honestly, and we'll explain it when we come back here in just a minute after the break, doesn't concern me as much as the other aspect of him. That is the major red flag for me when we look at a candidate who we trust and that we support and that we believe that would actually fight for the conservative values that we want in this nation. Again, this is without Donald Trump being in the equation for the conversation of would he be a viable candidate? What's his ugly business behind and inside the closet? We'll do that when we come back. Stay here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You know, I said in the last segment that Vivek Ramaswamy is kind of the repeat of Donald Trump, the wild card. We don't know much about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what his real motive is at the end of the day. We really don't know much about this guy other than saying what Republicans want to hear, which either means that he's right on track with us or that he is what some are saying is the paid opposition from the other side of the aisle. Now, He, according to NBC News, doing a little bit of deep dive on this guy, he was an unaffiliated voter who had only voted a couple of times in the past few elections as he voted Libertarian back in 2004, did not vote in 2008, 2012, or 2016 before jumping in and voting for Donald Trump in 2020. Coming from the Libertarian side, and that's the way that he uh, described himself as well, was a relative Libertarian. But he's donated to both Republicans and Democrats. And as a multimillionaire. Now, the big concern that some have, and again, I'm watching some of the live comments on the on the social media pages regarding this conversation. They're like, Andy, don't fall for it. Don't fall for this guy. He's a Soros guy. He's paid for. He's the paid opposition. Don't do it. And here's what I'll tell you about this. And researching, understanding what the heck he's all about. Yes, he accepted money from not George Soros, but the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowships for New Americans. And for those that don't know this program, I don't know much about it other than the fact that it's a scholarship fund program for new immigrants that have gotten their citizenship to help them with school. Now, here's the weird part about this is that he received $90,000 from the program to be able to go to Yale. And he made the comments during an interview saying that he did not have the money to go to the school. And therefore he accepted that money coming from the program. 
Then we later found out, according to a page from Fox News, saying that he was already making multi-millions of dollars at that time, where he had at least for the past three years prior to had made over a million, anywhere between one to two million dollars a year for those past few years leading up. So did he have the money? More than likely. Not to say that a lot of that money wasn't tied up in investments or starting businesses or doing other things or just rent under the inflation that we have or depending on where he's living. So a lot of that money could be tied up, but I'm sure he had the money. At the same time, if you got $90,000 dropped on your lap to say, hey, go to school and continue your education and here's some free money to do it, even if you had a million dollars as a smart business guy or someone who's financially responsible, I'm pretty sure you'd take the money. So the whole tie to the Soros thing, I'm not as concerned about as something else. And as you know, it's something that is a big concern to me. So what I've heard on the debate stage sounds great. What I've seen with his past is a little weird. It is a little rocky. It is a little unknown. It is the major wild card. But again, Donald Trump was the wild card of 2016. Being a former registered Democrat, heavily campaigning and donating to Democrats, not really being involved in politics, saying a whole lot of nothing on the campaign trail, but getting people riled up and telling them what they want to hear. We had the exact same boat, and this is the same situation that we were in before, but here's one difference. And to me personally, this is the biggest red flag that we should be concerned about, even above the Paul Soros uh, sponsorship or scholarship for new Americans for school. The biggest concern is how he's made his money, the multi-millions of dollars, as he's part of Big Pharma. His investments, his business startups were in the pharmaceutical industries, and he advocated for the taking of the vaccine. And he's, that's where a lot of his money, that's where a lot of his business dealings have tied up with. Now, I have not heard him on the campaign trail say whether he supports mandated vaccines. I've not heard him say anything about choice of vaccines. I don't know. But someone who has really gone against what Big Pharma is all about, to me, that is a bigger red flag than even the, than even the Paul Soros scholarship fund where you just accepted money to be able to go to Yale because $90,000 got dropped on your lap. The whole concern as well about, well, he's tied to the globalists and to the world government. That one's not true, as he did reject an award that was offered to him by the World Economic Forum. And he said that didn't tie with his values. And he didn't want to be part of the World Economic Forum and rejected that one. So most of the concerns aren't correct. But there's a major red flag a lot of people aren't talking about. And that's being tied with Big Pharma. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Stretch man, it flies right on by. So much to talk about and so little time to do it. The conversation about Vivek Ramaswamy is an interesting one for sure. Do you trust him? Do you like him? Do you think that he's paid for and brought to you by the Soros family after accepting the ninety thousand dollars from the uh, Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowships for New Americans? Is interesting. Now, here's the weird part about it. And here's uh, we talked with during the week, our weekday program uh, locally, we talked with a guest that wrote a book called The Soros Agenda, who focused a lot of attention on George Soros, followed the, the history and the agenda or the Soros and how progressive they have been. And what she told us was it's not really a big deal that he accepted the money. 
it was a big deal that he accepted the money and then tried to hide it from us. Now, that could be because of just political na- naiveness, thinking it would go away and that it wouldn't surface, which not being a politician would make sense, or because he really doesn't want to show those ties that he had with the Soros family. I, again, I'm not as much concerned about that as I am with him being so involved with the pharmaceutical industry and quote unquote big pharma where he's made the vast majority of his money. Is that a cause for concern for you or not? Outside of that, what he said on that debate stage on Wednesday night was dominant. And he played the Trump card by poking fun at the other candidates, getting them riled up and talking about what his vision was, which is solid and falls right in line with the conservative agenda. But uh, we'll talk some more about that a little bit later. Let's talk about some economics. I will say on the debate stage real quickly, probably the person that had the best economic response out of all the candidates on Wednesday night was Nikki Haley. Well, I don't care about polls. What I care about the fact is that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill, they left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget. Republicans asked for $7.4 billion in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. Whoa, whoa. Now, hold back on that one. I think that was her best moment of the entire night. Let's talk about some budget stuff because we like to do that on this program with our latest in what's trending. What's trending today? And on the program with us, really happy to have back on. It's been a little bit since we've had her on the show as she is the state director for the state of Kansas, also involved with the National Organization of Americans for Prosperity, which you can find online at americansforprosperity.org. And great partners with us here right on The Voice of Reason as well. Elizabeth Patton with us here. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Oh, it's so good to talk to you again. I'm doing great. Yeah, it is. What a wild time. That, uh, that clip from Nikki Haley, uh, Elizabeth, I'm telling you, that was probably the best economic response we heard from that entire night. And as we go into the fall session in a couple of weeks with Congress returning, budget discussions and tax discussions and economic discussions, we need an accountant in there to really put a freeze on a lot of the shenanigans because there's some crazy stuff going on. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's really refreshing to hear somebody from the presidential debate stage talk about that and and call those things out, because for so long, I think we have just been missing that and skirting along and really needing to put uh, some, well, money where our mouth is, but maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is true. That is true. You guys uh, with Americans for Prosperity, you've been running the whole summer with your Bidenomics campaign, letting people know about how the economy really is, where we're seeing over a three-year period, anywhere between 15 to 20 percent inflation overall, almost 30 percent inflation just on food alone, which we just ran a story last uh, last hour saying that food could go up another 15 percent with the trillion dollars that the Biden administration wants to dump in on top for the SNAP program for food stamps that could drive food up right now. Gas prices are over $4 a gallon. It's a disaster out there. While they're out there talking about how great the economy is in this lie about 13 million jobs that they created, 
I don't know that anybody's buying this. Elizabeth, help me out here. No, I agree. It's not true. And people feel that it's not true. You know, the moms like me, they're going to the grocery store and they know that it's harder to make ends meet when they're filling up their car. Um, You know, inflation is affecting real American families. And when they hear things like that, like, honestly, I I hope and it feels like it's falling on um, deaf ears because the truth of the matter is this is really impacting every family, every individual's budget, and it's not getting better, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I think they realize that as well. Yeah. I I hope they realize that because it's not going to get any better anytime soon. The Federal Reserve coming out saying that they're going to continue to raise interest rates. They want inflation down to 2% because, well, I guess that's a happy medium, but the only way to do that apparently is not to stop printing money, not to stop spending money, but to just raise interest rates, we're already at a prime rate at over 7.08%. We have uh, mortgage rates that are skyrocketing, mortgage applications that are going down, killing the real estate industry right now, and they want to just keep pricing people out of the market. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It, it does not. And, you know, we just did some recent polling, and over 61% of Americans are telling us that the recent price increases are causing them financial hardship, which is up um, probably over 6% from just a couple months ago. So when we look at things like that and we look at the response from the federal government and Congress, it just it doesn't match. And we really need congressional leaders who are willing to stand up and say we need to do things differently. And it is time to do to appropriate differently. Do not call it mandatory spending to call it um automatic spending and really take a better look at the fiscal health of our nation because it's lacking. Uh, We need those in Congress to stand up with those solutions and not just go with the status quo because that's how we've been doing it. Because it's gotten us in a situation where they have voted to continue to spend money to print money. And what it has done, the effects on American families, it's awful. Yeah. Oh, it's disastrous. Yeah. We're talking with Elizabeth Patton, Americans for Prosperity. You can find them online at americansforprosperity.org, the nation's largest grassroots campaign organization across the nation as we knock on doors, talk to people, let people know exactly what's going on in the country as Congress returns back to D.C. next month in a couple of weeks now and start working on the federal budget. It's unfortunate. We're already hearing from numerous elected officials on both in both chambers saying that they're not going to get the federal budget done by the end of September. Shocker. We haven't done that since the Obama administration. So it's nothing new. But after June in that in that uh, passage of the debt ceiling bill, we've raised spending up another four trillion dollars, two trillion dollars for two years, up to four trillion dollars where this year alone, if we cap that out, would be at the same level for regular new spending, our new norm in the country at the same level as what we spent when we did the $2 trillion COVID-19 stimulus package when everything was shut down in 2021. That would be our new level of normal spending. And to me, that's absolute insanity, isn't it? It is insanity. We think of where we were even just, you know, 15 years ago. And just the difference that we have seen is I, I, I would never have believed it in a million years. Um, we spent... Uh, we did a capital conference this summer where we met with a lot of members of Congress from all of our chapter states to give them some bills that we have crafted with some solutions on how to start tackling this in a smart way. That I mean, nothing, nothing crazy, nothing 
<laughs> it, it, it's all very common sense just to start taking it, taking a step in a dip, slightly different direction. Um, and, yeah. and it's just amazing to me how the status quo has become, I don't know, it, it's obscene. I, I never would have believed it. It is obscene. And right now, even in the House of Representatives where Republicans have the dominant uh, majority right now, only 20 Republicans supposedly so far, 2022, whatever it was, have sent a letter to Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, led by Chip Roy, saying, hey, wait a second, even though we raised the debt ceiling by another $2 trillion, maybe we shouldn't cap it at that. Maybe we should have our spending just below that, just in case something crazy happens. And that's the controversial position now. No more is it, well, maybe we should only grow it or keep it at the same level or grow it by 1%. No, no. We need to cap out the entire $2 trillion we just raised our total debt ceiling. So next year, we can plan on raising it another $2 trillion above even what we spent during COVID-19. And that apparently is where we're at on whether Republicans can even agree on whether to cap it at the $2 trillion or spend just below that. That's insanity. That is insanity. And it's sad. And, you know, I, I appreciate the delegation we have here in Kansas, and, and they've been really good at listening to um, the proposals we've had and the solutions we've brought to them from a fiscal perspective uh, run us yeah. on ways and means, and I'm grateful for that. But it, it really we need more members of Congress who are willing to stand up and say that, you know, with with Chip Roy, with with members of our delegation who are saying, stop like this is this is beyond the pale now. And, you know, we thought, I remember back in 2008 when we thought, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? This is the end of the fiscal crisis. And unfortunately, we've kept going. And here we are today with no end in sight. But it's like, when is it? It's now to the point that it is genuinely really hurting American families once again. We are seeing it every day. They are seeing it when they have to make decisions over how much gas they put in their car and how much they can afford to feed their kids and the grocery bill. Um, there's even joke Instagram videos from moms who are like, oh, I bought four things at the grocery store. It cost me two hundred dollars. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not sustainable. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be this way. That's the big takeaway is it doesn't have to be this way. We need more policy champions in Congress willing to stand up and say enough is enough. Enough is enough. I, I agree with that. We're talking with Elizabeth Patton, Americans for Prosperity. Hang on the line. we got to take a break here in a minute. I feel like I'm a sports commentator that overuses that. This is insane. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. I feel like I'm repeating myself too much because it, I guess we shouldn't be shocked that Congress and the government would spend this much money, but it's still mind-blowing, and it's hard to wrap our heads around it how much money is actually going out in the stupid conversations that are happening up there uh, regarding the budget. Let's take a break here real quick. We're talking with Elizabeth Patton, AmericansForProsperity.org. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. We'll talk about the farm bill and the campaigns and elections for next year as well. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Last few minutes of the program. Oh, how it flies right on by way too fast. And it's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Again, you can find us at HoosierReason.com. You can find our handle on social media at HoosierReason. You can also find any of our favorite podcasts, any of the favorite episodes, anything, or just download it and listen to each one because why the heck wouldn't you on any of your favorite podcasting sites at The Voice of Reason. 
with Andy Hoosier. We're hanging out with Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth Patton. Uh, she's with Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. As we uh, talk about the economy, we talk about the budget, we talk about the hardship that Americans are having to go through right now. And, Elizabeth, you said that you guys had your poll that showed the distress that people are in economically. I'm assuming that even in uh, really demographics, men, women, age groups, uh, communities all over the country, uh, they're realizing how expensive things are, and they're just not buying this Biden campaign on how great the economy is going. Do you think that's going to bleed? I know it's early now and things can change in a year, but that's got to bleed into the 2024 elections, doesn't it? You know, I sure think so, and I hope so. I'll tell you, you know, we have prosperityispossible.com if people want to take a look at some of the things we're up to. But we are actually doing a Prosperity as Possible uh, bus tour around the country right now, uh, stopping at a lot of different states. And not only that, we're on doors all the time, uh, even in Kansas, all over the country, talking to voters every day, asking them about what issues matter to them. And I'll tell you, we hear it. We heard it today was a day of action for us. And we hear it when people tell us how much harder it is for them to make ends meet and how inflation is the top financial problem. And it, that answer is the highest that I think we've ever recorded. So it's a big wow. deal. And, and I think that it will have an impact on the 24 elections. People feel it and they, they think um, Bidenomics is not a good thing. Yeah. Amen to that. What's really strange, Liz, because you and I are both on the younger end of the spectrum, uh, politically speaking, and uh, we see a lot of, quote unquote, millennials that are starting to jump into races, both at local level, city council, school boards, state reps, uh, state seats and at the national level as well. And even like Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president right now as a, quote unquote, millennial. Uh, the latest study that I saw, the latest poll shows that millennial conservatives, economic issues are less important to them than social issues. But with this issue, especially with how expensive it is to buy a home, as our generation's finally starting to accept that we're adults as we're trying to go off on our own and trying to pay off the student loan debts that we have uh, by the tens of thousands right now, it seems like that's not accurate. It seems like economics and the budget and the economy right now still is the focal point for so many people, especially us in the younger generations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's how they're defining the term economic issues and, and how they're ta- how you talk about it with millennials. So when you think about how that touches so many parts of your life, you talked about that. It talks about student loans. You talk about energy prices and you're, you're talk about um, how that impacts even things like um, your regulations at your work and your job, spending, inflation, cost of literally every single thing you buy and, and how that all comes together and impacts lots of everyone's daily life. Um, I think when you're able to really help them understand that economic issues are not purely tax and spend, although that's the core of this, uh, it bleeds into everything. It becomes a huge issue. Gosh, I would even venture to say that healthcare is related to economic issues. Mm, that is very true. I love it. Elizabeth, we got just about a minute left here as we wrap up. But again, talk about the websites, prosperityispossible.com. But talk about how people can get involved with you guys anywhere in the nation if they're listening to this and how we can start bringing some sanity back to this conversation. Absolutely. Anywhere in the nation, go to prosperityispossible.com. You have lots of options to get involved there. Fill out the form. Take the time to do that. You can also go to americansforprosperity.org. But if you go to prosperityispossible.com, we have 38 state chapters, but we have a presence in all 50 states. So no matter where you live, we have an opportunity to get involved and get you involved. And you can help make a difference because I tell you, one voice, one action, it does. It does matter and it makes a difference. And we'd love to have you on the team. 
Oh, you guys are rocking it. Yeah, with influence in all 50 states, with chapters all over the place, with people just, whether you want to knock on doors, support the organization, whether you want to make phone calls, just educate the community about what the heck's going on. You can partner with them. Again, americansforprosperity.org. Also, check out the website and fill out the information at prosperityispossible.com as well. Elizabeth, it's so wonderful to get you on the program. We always absolutely love partnering with you here on this show, and we'll continue to get the message out. Let's do it again here real soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Andy. Hey, always a pleasure. There it is. Another show in the books, man. It goes by so fast. So much more to do, but you know what? We'll just have to wait until next time. The little radio tease to get you interested in coming back to the show all over again. Podcast up in just a little bit. We're back at it again next weekend for our weekend edition here on The Voice Reason. And it's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. Be that catalyst for change. Be the ones being that active. Run for office. Make those phone calls. Talk to people around there. Let them know what's going on. Don't let the progressives lie about Bidenomics and how great things are, because <laughs> that's just laughable. Until then, this is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.